G'day, welcome to another edition of Detour Live, coming to you live every night, 7.30pm, Australian Eastern Standard Time, and I'm joined by the Oracle, Johnny Trevorrow. Johnny, mate, I'm getting so many people saying, who's the tip from Iffy tonight, because he's done it again, but last night, I don't know if you were all chips in on Roglic. No, 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 I went, I went for Adam, but uh, I then threw near the end. I said, but, you know, you better put a bet on to uh, Roglic, and uh, and people did. <laughs> yeah, so you saved your ass. Now, one thing you haven't saved your ass with is your internet. It's been absolutely woeful, this trip. In fact, we've had to call in on the services from uh, Telstra, and I think uh, they're going to send you a dongle, thanks to uh, Sandy and the crew there. Um, so as a result, I can't take any risks on this show, man. It's just too important. So I've got a bit of a, a backup plan, and that is Matty Keenan. So if your internet drops out, Keenan's ready to step in. Uh, uh, G'day, Matty. How are you, mate? Good. My yeah, batteries well, are fully charged once again. Well, he took over from the last Oracle, so he must have taken over from this one as well. <laughs> oh, low blow. <laughs> hey, uh, I've got to say, I've got to say, I don't let your, dang, your dingle dongle dangle in the dirt, but I have bought a great expense. Oh, a great expense. As soon uh, as he goes to say it, isn't it? Well, well I bought I bought a new thingamajig, and it's going to transmogrify from my uh, base in the house out to my studio. Okay. Well, you, you need to go online. You need to use your dongle, and you need to have a look at the YouTube clip with Ronnie Corbett when he. Recounts the old two Ronnie's sketch from the hardware store and he goes to the fruit shop and he's having trouble with his blackberry and his apple's not working. It's on orange and his wife says he's got a small dongle. <laughs> hey, um, don't, you bring Kane, don't bring Kane into this. That's not very fair. Well, but anyway. I've, I've got to ask you, Matty, um, how is the fatigue going? Because I've, I've cracked. I could not stay awake last night. I fell asleep, and it must have been your voice in the final because I woke up to you going, Rockledge, and I literally jumped out of bed, and it was that was it, finishing line. Yeah. yeah. I'm struggling. Um, uh, what I'm struggling with is the training program that Graham Brown has got me on. I somehow have been roped into doing this tour training challenge with Brownie, and I'm actually really enjoying it. And I'm going to bed each night nervous about the training program that I'm about to be doing. But in terms of fatigue and so on, with the tour, when you're commentating on it, there's so much adrenaline. And the big challenge is actually getting to sleep when I get home. I normally get home from the SBS studio around about 3.30. The day that Caleb won, Robbie and I were still sending each other text messages until about quarter past four. And I'm turning the light off at 4.30 whilst I'm hearing the birds starting to chirp and they're waking up. So it's pretty hard to get a good night's sleep. Um, obviously, uh, the stage last night, Roglic was too strong in the end there, but... Um, is this cementing their justification for favouritism in this race, Keenan? Yeah, the the it is. killer bees, the killer uh, the killer wasps. If they killer strike wasp. as a bee, they're done for. Uh, yeah, I think it is cementing that position. I had them in a couple of weeks ago, even before the Dauphiné, with Roglic as the favourite to win. You know, the one fear is is he too good too soon because he's been on great form for a long time, but. As Cadell Evans so often said, you'd rather be trying to maintain form than chasing it at this time of year. Egan Bernal has spoken about he's just trying to ride conservatively, so he's good in the third week. But there's no question that Primoz Roglic is the favourite and he's got a stronger team around him than the Ineos team. My highlight from last night was actually one of Primoz Roglic's teammates, and that was Walt Van Aert. He was setting tempo on the front. This guy weighs only 80 kilos. He's a guy who won a sprint stage last year ahead of Viviani and Caleb Buen. 
When he swung off, he had Kwiatkowski behind him, Castro Viejo, two of the climbers for Ineos. They were relieved. They slowed down and they punched the clutch in when Wout Van Aert, Van Aert swung off. He was phenomenal last night. Um, Ify, uh, what was your take on the stage? Because there's a couple of riders I want to ask you about. Um, Richie Port finished uh, in the pointy end of the, of the finish. And also, um, what, where is Esteban Chavez at, do you think? Because um, obviously Whitey said they're here to you know, go for stages. Um, at what point do you have to say, well, hang on, we need to conserve your energy, uh, particularly in the last week, if you want to pinpoint a couple of those mountain stages? Was that a question? I mean, it went on for that long, I forgot what you actually wanted to ask me. But I'll okay, go with... I can't even remember what I said. <laughs> I'll go with... The host can't remember the question he asked. <laughs> oh. oh, well, whatever. But i got to say, I thought it was a brilliant stage. Um, I A bit different to you, Matty. I was really... Uh, I'll never get his name right. Tadej Bogachar. Bogachar. He, he would have won the blue mirror way. I mean, the other Slovenian is only a kid. I mean, he was rode his first Grand Tour last year when he was 20. He's only 21 now. He doesn't turn 22 until late in September. And he is the real deal. I wouldn't normally say a kid that that age could be uh, really on the podium. I think he'll make the podium. And yesterday, he was just sensational. I mean, when the real pressure came, I was the only one who looked like... <laughs> the internet's going <laughs> There you go. <laughs> it's gone um, again. I well, no. now, now I remember what I said. I didn't ask you about Pogachar. What, what about Richie Port? Uh, can I actually, can I come back to Pogachar with you, John? Before the Vuelta last year, when he went to that Vuelta, SBS said, oh, can you write a, an article about the Vuelta? Oh, yeah, no, preview, no problem. I right, said, here are the favourites, but the guy to watch, the one who's going to be the most exciting, remember the name Tade Pogachar. And then he won three stages and he finished in third place overall. And coming into this year's race, I love the confidence that he's riding with. Stage one, he finished in 17th position. Caleb Bjorden was 19th. Yeah, sure, Caleb had the problem with crashing and being six minutes behind at one point, but he was there amongst the sprinters, and he's a 21-year-old climber. This guy is fantastic. He is going to be somebody that we'll talk about for a long, long time to come. I love watching him race. And he's in form. He finished second uh, to, to Roglic in their Slovenia road title and then beat him a few days later to take out the time trial title. So, yeah, he, he's uh, – I think he's on the podium this year. Yeah. What about, I, what I about, picked him what about, as my smoking. What about Richie Port? What about Port? Richie Port? <laughs> well, I actually threw a, a, a text to you, I remember, late into the stage saying, "Put because you're my – my bookie, you put the money on for me, Dan. I said, put some money on Richie. Uh, he's he's a pretty good odds, and he's a big chance. I'm glad you didn't do it, but uh, yeah, he was he was very very good. Dan, put your money on Richie. Put your money on Richie, not mine. Another one of those <laughs> iffy messages that you look at and you're like, oh, yeah. you keep going. No, I'm, no, uh, Matty, Matty, we did make a deal for the tour that we're, we're, we're all in. So whatever bets either of us make, uh, we're going half. So that, that's, okay. that's, that's really, a stone. really good quote I like from Richie after this. He said it wasn't really a climb. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it wasn't steep enough. It was really fast. It was hard because it was really fast, but it wasn't really a climb. I think Richie looks really good, and I really want to see Richie win a stage in this year's tour. I've got a question from the fans. Uh, Andrew Scales, he wants to know, should the tour have a mountain stage this early again in future editions? What do you think? Yes. Yep. Yes, I love it. I mean, this course, everyone was whinging 
probably a bit too hard. This is the not the writers, this is the so-called experts. But this has been fantastic. We're day four, coming to day five, and we're all raving. We've stopped talking about the COVID nineteen. We're talking about the bike race because it is bloody fantastic. Yeah, and you know, Jonesy. The Volta mm-hmm. Espana have been doing this for years, and that doesn't get the publicity of the tour. But how entertaining is that for a race? Yeah, exactly. The more carnage, and and in other editions of the tour, they've thrown in sort of cobble stages and that, but um, they're not uh, obviously doing that this year. But whenever they do throw up those variables, it's uh, it's awesome for the TV coverage for sure. Yeah. Um, and and what about uh, I was saying Chavez? Um, what do you, what if you were Matt White? What would you do, um, Keenan? Just Keep rolling the dice until one of them cracks, or how would you play it? Oh, I'd I'd let Esteban ride his race, targeting the general classification for as long as possible. And even though they're talking about Adam just targeting to try and collect a stage win, I think he's well within striking distance of potentially getting a stint in the yellow jersey, and that would be a massive feat. It would be a great outcome for the team as well. So I don't think those two guys should even look at the idea of losing time so they can get up the road later to potentially win a stage. Whilst they're in this sort of condition, and that was still a pretty select group yesterday, even though Richie said it wasn't really a climb, it was only 5%, uh, I'd be sticking with the way they're riding. They can still aim for stage victories from those groups, but maintain that high position, the overall classification. Well, I agree. I agree. I was just saying... I was going to say, who better to ask than Matt White himself? He, he joins us now. Uh, Whitey, uh, we were just chatting about um, what to do with guys like Esteban Chavez. Do you, do you let him keep bopping along on GC and maybe wait if he does crack? Or what, what's the plan for a guy like that? Oh, whoops. Uh, just, sorry, lose mate. Time quick. Lose time yeah. quick would be the good one, mate. Yeah? Yeah, yeah uh, we didn't... We, we didn't come here to finish 11th. Uh, we want to win a stage, and there's going to be multiple opportunities for world-class climbers in this back. Uh, starting starting stage eight, starting stage eight, mate. So I think getting off uh, off GC uh, before then would be ideal. Um, we, we had a fan question before. They said, um, you know, are, are you a fan of mountain stages early on in the tour in the, in the first week? Do you think it's something they should continue to do in future editions? Oh, I think variety's good. I think variety's good. I think uh, they've made an entertaining course. And I, I think the traditional one week of you know, sprints every day, every second day can be changed around. I think as long as we have enough for everybody, I think a bit of change is, uh, is good for the race. You got a question, Ify? You done any research for the show, mate? <laughs> I love you, Dan. I love you, Dan. Um, I, I, I just very interested in what you just said before, uh, uh, Whitey, about uh, uh, Chavez uh, putting the brakes on and getting that gap in. Uh, I thought you'd probably wait until they sort of cracked a little bit first, give them their opportunity, and then the minute they lose a little bit of time, okay, time's done, and then uh, uh, and then uh, drop back. Well, we've got we've got a hard, we've got a much harder climb tomorrow in the final. Uh, so we'll see how things go tomorrow. Yep, um, you there, mate? I think we've got uh, Iphiotitis with the uh, <laughs> with the internet again. Uh, Whitey's obviously in on the bus uh, at the moment. So when you go into these uh, start towns, obviously the uh, the Wi-Fi and the the cell coverage gets pretty clogged up. Um, 
One thing I was going to throw to is is they're doing a great job with the videos on uh, Mitchell and Scott, as always. And uh, the backstage pass from yesterday was, was quite entertaining because uh, not only Whitey has to worry about race tactics, but he's a manager of, of the riders themselves. And Chris Ewell Jensen is one that um, often leaves papers lying around and this is what he had to deal with before the start uh, yesterday. Hey Chris, uh, the bus is leaving uh, all stations to start area. Hey! <laughs> Thanks for coming, Chris. Uh, I thought it was 20 past. Glad you could make it. Glad you could make it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I hadn't seen that. That's brilliant. He seems like a fantastic guy, Chris. He's uh, he's an absolute uh, ripper. And as I said, like Chris is one of those guys that um, you know, you you never know when he's going to be on time. Like he he often. Um, you know, brushes over the WhatsApp group because every day they send out um, like a, a schedule and they're pretty rigid with the times. It's, it's much like a Kentucky tour. If you're not there, the bus will go. Well, it is for staff. I remember at the Vuelta one year, I came out the front ready to go on the bus and the bus had gone. And I remember ringing Steve-O and I said, Steve-O. And he goes, uh, oh, Dan, uh, where are you, mate? I said, I'm at the hotel. And he goes, ah, oh, mate, we're half an hour down the road. I was like, oh, no, what, what am I going to do here? I got a lift with the Vuelta doctor and um, jumped in and threw all my stuff in the back. And, geez, we, we ended up passing the bus, I don't know, 40 minutes later. Like They were probably doing 180 on the freeway. I was I was generally fearful for my life. And, Lucky um, you were with the doctor. Yeah, I remember the, the bus driver for Green Edge at the time, Gary, was driving. And then all of a sudden I come flying the around Gary. the Yeah, the, the Gary. Corsica, stage one. Gary. Yeah, um, and they couldn't believe it. They didn't even realise that I wasn't on the bus. They just saw me hanging out of the doctor's car. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, st we're still having a few little technical uh, difficulties with Whitey. Um, as I've said, going into the, the start towns, it, it gets a bit tricky. But um, uh, well, then, back to... With Whitey, if, if I don't get the chance to ask, I'm really interested in their strategy with Adam Yates and potentially you know, aiming for a stint in the yellow jersey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously today's a sprint stage, but uh, tomorrow, as he said, um, I think there's a horse category climb and, and a cap one. So um, there's definitely going to be some more opportunities down the track. I think we've uh, got him back on now. Whitey, can you hear us? Yeah, man. <laughs> Whitey, Whitey, go, take go for two. it, buddy. What, what about Adam Yates, so close to the yellow jersey and trying to get a stint in the yellow? What's of more value to you as a team, a Day or two in yellow or a stage win? Was it, I, I didn't hear. Is that a day in yellow or a stage, a stage yeah. win? What was the, uh, the question there, mate? Yeah. What's of more value, for, more value to the team, a day in the yellow jersey or a stage win? Oh look, I think I, I I would classify them pretty evenly. Actually, you know, a stage it's a lot of a lot of media attention. It's great achievement, but I would I'd, I'd rather have a stage win. I think. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's if, a like it's. If it was yeah, only I, I, I'm not sure. It's interesting. I wonder. I wonder what the sponsor, you know, the return on investment would be, and what the morale is in the team in terms of what gets bigger bang for your buck: the stint in the yellow jersey and no stage win versus a stage win and no yellow jersey. You got you got us, Whitey. 
Oh, I think I think one day in the jersey is different to a big stint. I think if you had a big stint in the yellow jersey, then that's definitely worth more than a stage win. But uh, one yeah. day in the yellow or one stage win, I'd put them pretty even, actually. Yeah, okay. Cool. Interesting. Uh, Whitey, when uh, you had some technical difficulties, we showed a video from the backstage pass yesterday, and that was with uh, Chris Yul Jensen um, almost missing the start. Um, how do you go coordinating guys like that? Um, and, you know, you've got enough to worry about with the tactics, let alone uh, guys uh, setting their alarms in the morning before before the race. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're still having uh, technical difficulties. You, guys? you might oh, have to can... abandon ship, Jonesy. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more crack. What, what happened with Yul Jensen before the start yesterday? Now, Houston, we have a problem. That's all right. We'll uh, we'll have to try with Whitey another time, I think. Um, anyway, it was good when we had him. Those little snippets. Yeah. That, that I was, was really interested. In, Dan, I was really interested in that response in terms of one day in yellow versus a stage win and classifying them as as even. But a longer stint in yellow, I think, is more value than you know a stage win. Or two. I think that yeah. yellow jersey brings a lot of attention to the team. He yeah. had to really, he had to really think about the answer. He, yeah, uh, I don't know whether it was his, his poor. Now, if he's got, geez, I have got my work away. cut out for me tonight. Um, Whitey's going to have another crack. Right. <laughs> How we go now, I Whitey? To make a move. Right. So Keenan's got to go. So thanks for your time, Keenan. You've got a Zoom call. Um, thanks, Matty. Now, Whitey, can you hear us now, mate? Yes, I can now. Perfect. All, all I was saying is um, what happened with Chris Yul Jensen before the start yesterday. I watched the backstage and, and he almost missed the bus, mate. Yeah, it was just a, sim a simple miscommunication of time. He thought we were leaving at 10 past 10. We were leaving, uh, 20 past 10, we we're leaving at 10 past 10, mate. But uh, the first and the last time. Yeah, perfect. I said it. All right, so whitey has gone again. Um, but we've got a special guest. Geez, I've got my work cut out today, Ify. Um, I've got a special guest, and it's uh, the chef from uh, Mitchelton Scott. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and that is uh, Nikki Strobel. Nikki, uh, welcome hey. to the detour, mate. Uh, where, where in the world are you at the moment, buddy? Right now in sunny Norway. As you can see, it's uh, pretty pretty nice up here today. Uh, and you're going to be joining the team on Saturday. Um, are you excited to, to get back to the Tour de France? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, although this year I'm, I'm not joining them for the Tour de France. So um, it's, uh, it, it's a bit, bit different this year. Oh, so where, where are you going on Saturday? What race are you going to? Uh, Saturday I'm going to Italy for Tirino. I'm doing uh, the uh, the Italian calendar this year. So I'm doing uh, Tirino and then doing uh, the Giro this year. Ah, geez, the uh, the research for this show has been impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> We've had internet issues. <laughs> I thought you were joining the boys at the tour. It's all happening. But you've done many Tour de France's, Nikki. And, um... Yeah, I've done a few Tour de France's. A few with you, actually. Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, you can cast your mind back to an incident uh, in 2012, the first tour with uh, Green Edge when you were the chef. And you want to recount the story of the day you smashed up Brian Nygaard's car? I didn't smash any car. 
Yes, you did. You, you were backing Brian Nygaard's we, car we, out we had, and you hit a had, pole. We had an agreement then. The agreement <laughs> was that I made you dessert every night and you would never tell anyone. So Nikki hit this pole, Ify, and I saw it. I was the only guy and I, I said to Nikki, listen, there's two ways we can play this, mate. I can dob you into Nygaard and he's going to be pretty filthy or I keep it quiet and you give me all the desserts and the first round of lamb shanks tonight as soon as the riders are finished and that continues for the rest of the tour. So we shook on it and then the team doctor, Manuel, borrowed that car and went to the airport and a bee flew into his car and he sideswiped two cars on the freeway and totally wrote the car off. So uh, it was bad luck for Nicky, but we had an agreement. Um, so, yeah, he, he stuck to that. So, Nicky, what, what is it like um, with the food preparation for a race like the Tour de France? It, it's definitely evolved um, over the journey. It's a lot more calculated now with, with what the riders eat. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the first few years it was basically just, you know, cook whatever the guys like and... Um, yeah, we had a lot of stakes the first few years where we weren't that focused on, you know, GC and stuff like that compared to now where everything is uh, really meticulous. You know, we calculate uh, all the stuff that the guys eat and we look into each stage and what should we eat today compared to, you know, what, what efforts do the guys need to put out. Um, and now, it's as you said, you, you're reading files and, and you... There's a lot more science that's going into how much fuel you need to give these guys back. Um, that's obviously evolved quite a fair bit. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, when we first started in 2012, I had no idea on, you know, uh, calorie needs for stage and uh, how the, <clears throat> the different stages affected the calorie needs for the guys. Where now we're looking at files every day and basically calculating how many calories each rider need for that specific day. So it, it's changed a lot. And, you know, it sort of taken my work from just being in the kitchen, focusing on good food to being focused on good food and also being able to read those numbers and uh, prepare food that match those numbers. Now, Nikki, I've got a clip to show viewers just what sort of dishes you used to uh, whip up. And this was when the team actually had the yellow jersey um, from stage five in 2013. So I'll just give guys a bit of an insight into what you used to whip up back in the day. And now we're onto the hot stuff. And if I was Australian, I'm gonna present it like chook, rice, spots, and veggies. But a bit more details about it. We have the chicken with a bit of um, onion powder, a bit of paprika, they're cooked on top of a bit of carrot, a bit of mushrooms, just everything in the oven, 180 degrees for 40 minutes. We have some brown rice, always brown rice at night. It's better with the fibers. We have the mashed potatoes and it's made with no butter. So lay off the butter, butter guts. And it's uh, made with a bit of olive oil, a bit of water, a bit of salt. So it's still pretty tasty, but not as fat as normal. The last one is just grilled veggies it's a bit of um, courgettes and some asparagus what do you reckon ify making your mouth water <laughs> i've just had dinner but uh, it looks very good nikki how are you mate good to see you pal yeah good to see you ify. um and the thing is um back then we used to try and give people you know insights into what riders ate daily so we were whipping out these videos every day but fast forward to 2014 and um, I was sort of getting a bit sick of doing the backstages as well as Nikki's stuff. So 
Um, I think you can detect in this video that Nikki's just had a bit of a gutful. This is from 2014. Good evening and welcome to Taste of the Tour. Well, last year we did one every day, but this year Jonesy is getting pretty lazy. So this year we'll just do one on each rest day to make sure Jonesy can last through the whole tour. He had a rough month in Brazil and we don't want to run him out. So, well, tonight the dinner is um, a bit less than normal because we just had a rest day. The boys didn't do much other than just hang around talking to journalists. So tonight we have our gazpacho, cold Spanish tomato soup, and then we have our saute chicken with a peanut sauce and some fresh fruits with our yogurt cream for dessert. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I post pictures almost every day and follow me at um, and yeah, in general, the last week of racing has been really hard for the boys. So we served a lot of carbs and tried to stay away from the fat. Um, and just keep it pretty healthy, bit of veggies and yeah, pretty basic healthy food. So we don't want to get them that famous Australian butter gut. Um. <laughs> you love the reference to the butter gut. Well, we're um, talking about Dan again, weren't get, you? He's get, referring to Dan all the time. Guess who taught me that one? Basically, all the bad words I learned in English, I learned from Dan. But, but you, you were good in the kitchen, Nikki. You used to let me cook at times, mate. We, we had yeah. some good times in the kitchen. And and then then that ended one sad day in Belgium. You can uh, ask uh, one of our sports directors how... His, uh, I can't remember before which race it was. Maybe it was before Flanders, but uh, some of the staff had a rough night after Jonesy's cooking. Yeah, I went down with food poisoning. This is before the before the pandemic when everyone washes their hands all the time, you know. But just uh, before we get away from what you were talking, Jonesy, when you were talking to me earlier, you were explaining to me how now that Nikki actually uh, uh, looks at the uh, minute uh, data that a rider has, uses for the day and then tries to replace that w individually with the riders at night. Is that the case, Nikki? Yes. So uh, every day when the riders get in, we get the uh, numbers from, you know, the Garmin units on their bikes, uh, and that gives us uh, a number of how many calories they burnt that day on the stage. And then we, uh, we try to replace everything. So our goal is to try and replace uh, all the energy they spend on the bike. But some days it, it's not possible. So we have to, you know, look at other days too and, you know, do a bit extra some days uh, just to to fill up on, on the big days. You know, to, to put it in perspective, on a big day, some of our riders will burn more calories on the bike than most people do in two days. Uh, and that's just like those five hours when they're on the bike. Um, and also, do you have to almost be like the food police? Because I know in previous years there's been certain riders, well, one rider who was addicted to Pringles, and you yep. literally had to make sure that this rider did not have Pringles in his room or um, try and coerce uh, Swanyers to, to feed him these Pringles? Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely gotten better. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have to tell the boys that you know there's better options than what they want to go for uh, but i mean you know end of the day sometimes you just want that tub of pringles but 
you know, not every day. <laughs> and another another thing people wouldn't realize is as the chef, you have to um, use the facilities at um, hotels. So across France, when they're staying at hotels like, you know, the um, uh, Kiriads and these sort of ones, um, they don't like you in the kitchen, which um, adds more uh, dramas and ho uh, hoops you've got to jump through, Nikki. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, chefs in general can be um, a bit uh, stubborn and not really willing to let other people into their kitchens. So um, sometimes you have to really fight to get that spot in the kitchen and to be allowed to use the kitchen. Um, we had cases where, you know, I have to put on the special clothes that they're wearing in their restaurant because, you know, they say it's because of hygiene reasons. Um, I had to, you know, work in the smallest back room in, in different kitchens where there was literally no space, but that was the space they were going to give me. So uh, there's been some interesting ones. There's even been kitchens where you're running away from because it's, it's just too filthy. Yeah. So, so Nikki, you're trying to tell me that you come across an arrogant chef in France. Really? Um, a, a few times. It, it, it happened, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, French people have sort of a reputation without – anyone and then you know chefs have sort of that same reputation so it's it's definitely not a, a good mix and yeah you met some really stubborn chefs in uh, in france uh we're starting to get some questions in for you nikki uh we've got yep. one from ryan mcmillan how is the risk managed when using hotel kitchens in this COVID age um i mean for for this year we rented out a food truck just because of the the COVID threat so um this year we're 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 separate in in a in a food truck, so this year it's it's not really a big problem. Um, I know other teams are using the kitchen, and it's actually working out pretty well because the hotels and everything are already set up for all the uh, COVID um, uh, things. So you know everyone is wearing a mask. Uh, there's a good space in between people and stuff like that. Um, one of the teams that had the most impressive setup when it came to food preparation would have had to have been Team Sky uh, when they had that three-story kitchen truck. Was that the envy of all the teams, Nikki? Um, no, not really. Not really. <laughs> really? Um, no. Nah, I mean, it looks really fancy and, you know, it, it looks good that you're like, oh, we're Team Sky, we're the biggest team, we got the biggest, best things and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, it's it's good when you have the budget for it, uh, but any gains you get from spending that much money is minute. Um, um, we've got another question, and it's from Sally. She says, if there are several teams staying at the same hotel, do they all have their own chefs? Yes. Every team bring their own chef. Uh, so especially when we're staying at bigger hotels, uh, we can be up, tried to, to be up to like seven chefs from different teams in kitchens uh, which makes it a bit crowded at times but most of the chefs from the teams are are really good at working together and understanding that you know we, we're sort of in this together um, when you're when you're doing the tour de france all the staff and everyone is always trying to help each other out because you know everyone is in it together and you know if if you need help today, then, you know, yesterday you helped that guy who's actually willing to help you today. So everyone is helping each other out and um, it's, it's good that way, I think. 
uh, Nikki, I remember you saying to me last year that what you loved about the Giro, like in France, you have to be in the kitchen and doing everything. But the Giro, you felt the food coming from the kitchens was good enough. Uh, you didn't have to do too much. Well, and, and, I mean, the, the Giro, it's it's just a, a whole different thing with the food in the Giro. Um, and I think it's just because of the Italian mentality towards food where, you know, it's... Uh, it's a very proud mentality about food and, you know, they take pride in, in everything they do or in the kitchen. Um, so for the Giro, actually for the first five years, we didn't bring a chef just because the food was, was really good there. And, you know, we didn't have those very specific um, nutrition requirements. So it, it was pretty easy to just use the food from the kitchens. The food is still really good in Italy, but now we just have some some other things that we need to think about that the hotels are not always willing to to work around one of the um was one of the big concerns back in the day remember when there was um issues of you know meat contamination and all that sort of stuff um yeah. was that a big um fear a few years ago with like you know you've got riders and they could get food poisoning was that a big concern and, and one of the main reasons why teams wanted their own chef um, I mean, the, the whole thing with, with food poisoning, uh, you know, is it, it's so, it, the chance is always there. Uh, and you've seen some pretty bad cases where whole teams have been wiped out from a food poisoning at a hotel. Um, so it's definitely to try and eliminate that risk. Um, and the, the thing with contaminated meats, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, if 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 you get the, the the meats here from most of the racing we do is is in Europe, uh, they're not a, allowed to use clenbuterol. So, I mean, you know, if if you get contaminated meats, uh, it's probably your own fault. Well, you've got to um, check to find out exactly what meat you're having. Because remember when I was living in Girona and um, I bought that leg <laughs> of roast. And I ate it with Andy Gerens, and then we used the leftovers to make a shepherd's pie. And I went back to get another one, and um, I said to the guy, I'll, I'll have that um, leg of beef there. And he just laughed at me, and then he pointed at the logo, and it was a horse's head. He goes, we only sell horse here, mate. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. So uh, it was tender, a bit gamey. But um, uh, I've, got a qu I've got a question from uh, Stuart McIntosh, and it says, are there many vegans or vegetarians in the pro ranks, and how does that go for them? Uh, this not many vegans vegetarians uh we had one on our team um at one point and there is a few but it's not many um it's it's going okay for them uh you know the, the big difference from being a vegetarian as a pro bike rider compared to a normal person is that a pro bike rider eats three times the amount of food that you would eat on a normal day so getting uh, vitamins and minerals and stuff like that is less of a concern for them. Um, so it's, it's working out for them. Okay. You know, there's still some things that they have to think about and, and take care of, but in, in general, it's, it's not a, a problem. Uh, we don't see any difference in performance or anything like that. So I, I can't say it's a problem at all. Now, uh, if he rides his bike, what sort of uh, food advice can you give to John to get maximum performance? What are some of the key things you see cyclists uh, nowadays, even recreational cyclists, doing wrong? And how can you rectify that? Um, first of all, I would have to say, you know, stop spending money on 
carbon bottle cages and stuff like that, you know, saving 50 grams on the bike. It's way cheaper to eat a bit less and eat a bit more healthy. And that would be the first big advice. You know, those money you spend on that carbon bottle case, uh, cage, use it, use it on, you know, high quality foods. Uh, that will make you faster than those, I don't know how many grams you save. But in, in general, for recreational cyclists, um, you know, it's, it's about eating uh, a balanced diet uh, throughout the day. And then, you know, b- before you do your ride, if you have a big ride, you know, a Sunday ride where you go out for three hours and stuff like that, you know, make sure to have a good hearty breakfast, you know, bit of protein, some oats, uh, something that will keep you full for long. Um, and um, ma- make sure when you get back that you actually refuel. That's one of the big mistakes that, you know, recreational um, cyclists do is, you know, they get home from a bike ride and they don't refuel properly. And then they just end up eating too much uh, later in the day because they didn't refuel straight after the bike. So I I would say probably biggest thing to improve on as a recreational cyclist is that recovery meal after your bike ride. So, you know, within the first hour after getting back, making sure you get a a good meal of, of carbs uh, and a bit of protein. And, and what's an example, just quickly, of the best um, meal to have when you first get back from a ride? What would you be suggesting? Well, uh, you know, again, different. You know, uh, Adam Yates, who's doing Tour de France right now, uh, his uh, recovery meal is uh, Haribo candies, uh, <laughs> a Powerade, and a protein shake. But... <laughs> That's because he's he has some different uh, requirements. But for a normal person, you know, a, a good serving of pasta or rice with a bit of lean protein, so some chicken or some tuna. Uh, if you're a vegetarian, you know, some some black beans or something like that, um, and and you set. All right, uh, we've got another question from Ryan McMillan. He's on fire. Are the pro riders totally reliant on their meals, or is their diet balanced with supplements as well? Um, from a uh, um, macronutrient uh, point, so that's your proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. Um, that's all coming from you know foods uh, and obviously energy drinks on the bike or energy gels on the bike. Uh, for vitamins and minerals and stuff like that, most of the riders take just a simple multivitamin tap, just to be sure that everything is covered. Uh, but in general. Um, they should be covered from all the food they eat, uh, but that that's it. Like they supplement with the with one multivitamin, and and that's it. So it's really simple stuff. It's not like they have a regimen of twenty different pills that they have to take uh, a, a multivitamin and uh, a, a few uh, few um, caffeine taps or something like that. That that's it basically. Got any final questions, Ify? For well, the super chef. <laughs> well, Nikki, I have been back on the bike and uh, uh, my weight doesn't change. I'm 71 kilos all the time lately, so I'm very lucky. Uh, I'm <laughs> going out most days. I have a banana for breakfast. That's it. And then uh, when I come back, uh, I have a good a, a good uh, normal lunch, whatever my wife has on the table, actually. But uh, uh, my weight is permanently 71 kilos. So that's not a question. You're just bragging. No, no yeah, yes. that's just. I was going to say that, that's just telling us what your weight is. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that amazing insight, John. Um, we've got another question. Philip Thorpe. He says, 
Well, what do you do with riders who get an upset stomach? Too many goos, etc. Can you get like that? So I think that's um, too easy, like gels and stuff. Yeah, gels. Uh, definitely gels and stuff like that can upset your stomach a bit. Uh, and um, especially when you're doing a, a three-week race, uh, your gut is just under a lot of pressure because you have to eat so many carbs all the time. I mean, like yesterday when we did Adam Yates' numbers, he was eating 18 grams of carbs per kilo. So people at home can try and calculate how many grams of carbs they would have to eat just to match his numbers. Um, but, you know, with riders that have a, a upset stomach, we're trying to keep it really simple. So, you know, white rice, a uh, bit of uh, omelette or uh, chicken, and, and that's it. You know, keep it as simple as possible to try and give the gut a bit of rest uh, and hopefully they can recover. I can remember uh, a tour one year, Albacini actually put up, put on a lot of weight because he had a problem with his liver or whatever. So how did you, how did you fix that through food? Um, well, it's, I mean, you know, not to put food down or anything like that, you know, food can do a lot of fantastic things, but um, for any, you know, inflammations and stuff like that, you know, um, medicaments, it, it's just a whole different world. But uh, with, with Alba, we, um, I, I can't even remember because this was his own, you know, he, he had his own theory about it, but I think we served him really bitter stuff. So I was basically out, you know, uh, juicing grapefruits, uh, finding uh, whatever bitter foods I could find. Uh, and um, he said it helped him. Not sure if it was in the mind or if it actually actually helped him. And, and there was a big craze for the roasted garlics. Remember that? Oh, we were yeah. the smelliest oh, yeah. team in the bunch. Uh, I remember that? Damien, oh, Damien Housen. Yeah, year 2016, I think it was, mm. where people were starting to get a bit sick and they were just smashing the garlics. Uh, at one point, you know, a writer from a different team came up to me and he was like, what are you feeding these guys? Because they stink of garlic every day and we're sitting on their wheel like you have to remember at this point we were in the pink jersey in the Giro so they were all sitting on the wheels of Damien Hausen and Swine Tuft and they were just sweating out garlic are they still obsessed with garlic or they they stopped it um a few riders you know once in a while when I do you know whole roasted garlics a few of the riders still still smash them um I would say the biggest fan of those are still Whitey um, oh. And the mechanics are hating it when when they see that there's roasted garlic for dinner because they know the next day in the car it's going to be a long day. Yeah. And before we let you go, who was the fussiest rider that you ever had to deal with? Because I know you didn't just work with Orica Greenedge; you worked with Leopard Trek back in the day. Yeah. Um, who who was the hardest rider? Who used to well, complain I, the most? I, I, I think you already know the answer to this one. It would have to be Fabian Cancellara. Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah, it was just like you never could win with him. You know, if you cooked uh, pasta, it was the wrong type of pasta. If you made, uh, you know, uh, a cold pasta salad, it had to be warm. If you made it warm, then he preferred cold that day. You know, they, they, you just couldn't win with him. Uh, yeah. Super nice guy, but you know, it was one of those things. He always had to find something to complain about. <laughs> Super nice guy, but a pain in the ass at the same time. There's plenty yeah. of those around, mate. Well, yeah. it's been uh, fascinating. You got anything to add, Ify, or you, you're good, mate? You 
Want to brag again? Tell us another story. Uh, I'll just say one thing, uh, Nicky. Great to speak to you as always. It's interesting to watch uh, when you're preparing the the, the riders' uh, food bags and what they're eating. It hasn't changed that much uh, since my day when when I raced uh, over there in the late 70s, early 80s. Hey, 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 hang on. It hasn't changed that much. Mate, you were smoking on the start line at the Giro. Yeah, I I think it has evolved. I'm not talking about my, me. I'm just talking about the actual uh, food that the riders oh, ate and took right. with it, and took with them in, in the race. Now the rice cakes and all of those things. Okay, yep. we didn't have the fancy gels and uh, uh, some of the micro adjusting that they're doing now. But the basic food hasn't changed that much. No, it, it hasn't changed that much. You're absolutely right. You know, it's still very very carb based, and you know a lot of rice, a lot of pasta. Uh, stuff like that. There was a, a period where you know the the whole high fat craze came in for a bit, but um, luckily we sort of over that now. Uh, but in in general, no, it hasn't changed much. Uh, the the biggest change would be in um, you know uh, the gels and the the energy drinks. Um, but you know it, it's it's hard to find a, a supplement for pasta or rice that's that's better. Yeah, exactly. All right, fascinating. Nikki, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, enjoy yeah, the Torino and Italy where you're going. Obviously, the, the kitchens will be a lot more receptive to you over there. And, um, yeah, good luck for, for the rest of the season. We'll probably touch base again uh, and get some more recipes from you, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Good on you, Nikki. Yeah, he's a legend, Nicky Strobel. Um, he came out to Australia, he used to um, do some study and work with uh, the AIS. And um, I remember he came out and stayed with us in Sale, uh, showed him country town. And uh, the first night I put him to work, put him on the tools, had him making dinners and desserts. And I remember mum saying, hey, look, you know, he's a guest in our house. I said, nah, he, he's going to be cooking tonight. And the, the dinner was awesome. He makes this chocolate cake that um, it's like four ingredients. It was um, it was brilliant. So, but yeah, interesting uh, interesting insights there from for sure. Now you also spoke with a, a really good friend of ours uh, today who uh, is a bit of a legend uh, with the uh, uh, Mitchell and Scott team. Yeah, we, we had a chat with uh, Joachim Schoenacher, who's a swan uh, I thought just before we get to that, um, we should do a shout out again to our sponsors, Ify. Uh, so that's uh, Lexus of Blackburn and that famous photo that you love putting in <laughs> with you and Jerry, um, Mitchell and Wines. You want to give them a plug, Johnny? Well, you're flicking through them and I can't say anything. Mitchell and Wines, of course I want to give them the plug. That's a beautiful Mitchelton Hotel in the Gamby, uh, which is part of the Mitchelton Winery right on the Goulburn River. Soon as the... Oh, your internet's cut Hotel. out again. Just the, as you're pumping up Mitchelton, it cuts the, out. The hotel at at Mitchelton, at Nagambi, on the Goulburn River is sensational. Get there when you can. And let's go, motorhomes. Let's go, motorhomes. Yes, the way to see Australia. They've got a special going at the moment. Book 60 days in advance. Get 5% discount. Just jump online. Uh, it's the way to go. Uh, we're going to have a quick word from Bike Exchange, and then when we come back, we're going to have a chat with Joachim Schunacher, the Swanier from Mitchell and Scott. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. 
Okay, as we mentioned, we caught up with Joachim. Uh, here's part one of the interview where we're talking about his role at the Tour de France this year. Now, this is one staff member that is actually at the Tour. I did get this right. So. <laughs> All right, we're joined now by uh, Mitchell and Scott Swanier, probably one of the most famous Swaniers in the pro peloton, I reckon, because he loves a chat, loves an interview, and loves publicity. Uh, Joachim Schunacker, how are you, buddy? Good, real good, real good. Another, uh, another day in the life of the Tour. <laughs> uh, hopefully today we have success with somebody and uh, yeah and hopefully we still we stay healthy that's the most important now because with all the pandemic uh, things going on it's uh, it's strange less people on the road the starts are basically empty finish really? lines are empty yeah yeah it's a, it's a big difference it's a big difference yeah, well, if he's got some backstory on uh, on you, Joachim, you're not just a swan. Yeah, you actually at one point were a budding young uh, cycling talent, isn't that right, Ify? Yep. Ah, oh, Yoki, yes. Yeah, well, exactly. It's a famous cycling family you come from, uh, Yoki. Matter of fact, I think I might have been raced with your father. That's how old I am. But uh, And your brother was a, a, a pro. But you were a re really good. I remember last year, because you were very, very modest about all of this, Yoki. And I remember last year at the tour, um, you were in deep conversation with uh, with Bradley Wiggins. Yeah. And uh, I wandered over, and because uh, I know Bradley, so I've known since he was a baby, and he started raving about uh, the great rivalry he had with you. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Yoki. So Yoki, so internet cuts in and out. John, your internet is not working. Ah. You need to pay for it. Eh? <laughs> he needs Stop a booster. We've reached out to Telstra. They're sending him a, a, a dongle. So, um, <laughs> but I think he's trying to say, you know, Bradley Wiggins, and you're having yeah, a good chat yeah, with him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to race. He's, he's my age, and I uh, I raced with him as a, a 16, 17, 18 years old. So uh, we raced against each other uh, uh, in Tour of Ireland. I took the, the green sprinter's jersey of him, of his shoulders, and it's still uh, pretty dark about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Joachim, how has the COVID restrictions affected your work? Because it's a pretty full-on job. Every day you've got to make uh, hundreds of bottles and get feed bags ready. Do you want to explain to the, to the viewers and listeners you know, what goes into your job and how this year is different more than ever? Well, the, the work is actually uh, is actually completely the same. We still need to make the same amount of bottles of uh, the same amount of feedbacks, uh, musettes as we call them. Um, but it's just uh, we have to wear a mask now everywhere. This is the only difference to this. The hygiene of hand sanitizer and washing our hands we had already in the past. Uh, we've always always looked out for that to to make it good. But uh, yeah, now it's with a mask uh, in the car, out the car. Uh, yeah. It's the new, the new normal. What about uh, Yoki? Yeah, uh, what about at the feed zones? Uh, are all the teams right together like they used to be, or are you further spread out? Uh, we're all together now in the feed zones, and uh, it's the first year that there's no uh, no crowds allowed in the feed zones, which we were hoping that it was going to happen already for years. Because uh, sometimes in the feed zones there were more people that uh, the riders could not see us, and it was it was just a mess. And now it's like uh, only for for staff who needs to get feedbacks out, and it's actually uh, an improvement. 
Now, what goes into the feedback? I know every year when we used to do the backstages, we do videos on it and so forth. But for people that don't know Joachim, what, what are the riders eating out on the road? So we have uh, the rice cakes that we prepare ourselves. Uh, normally, they depends on the, the length of the stage. It's about one or two rice cakes. Uh, then we have the, um, the nutrition sponsor, SIS, who got some bars and gels. And then, of course, uh, a bottle with water for on the bike and a bottle with uh, with carbo for on the bike. And uh, you're missing Johnny on the waters, water points this year. Oh, we miss Johnny a lot. We, uh, we're missing our team mascot. <laughs> like, uh, the tour is not the same without Johnny. Yeah, the only yeah, positive well... thing is <laughs> he will not crash the car this year that he's driving. <laughs> you crash the uh... car if he... One guy. Oh, normally it always comes back full of scratches and damage, and uh, so this year we don't have this. It's not his fault. No, the uh, faces in France are just too small. Yeah, now, you're you're as bad as Daniel. You just set me up all the time, Yoki. <laughs> but anyway, that's fine. Um, that was the first part of the the grab with Joachim. I couldn't help but notice. Is that your personal nickname for him? You call him Yoki, or is yeah, that what well, you thought his name was? No, I've always called him Yoki. Yoakum. Yoakum is his name. I know his name. Yeah. I've well, just I never call him Yoki. Oh, sounds like Gnocchi, the, the pasta. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I thought why not do uh, the Detour DeLorean segment with uh, Joachim, who had many uh, classic moments over the years. So this is part two of our chat with Joachim. <laughs> now, one thing we love doing on the show, Joachim, is we love going back in time to classic moments in a segment we like to call the Detour DeLorean. Rose. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Now, one thing we used to like doing out on the road um, back in 2012 was uh, we used to love playing a game with the, the police. So I want to show you a quick little video to jog your memory of what we used to get up to. And we tried it out. And roughly, if you wave to the cops, one out of six waves back. So try it again. Didn't want to wait back, so. That didn't even look. Ah, two at once. I never happened that. Are you still playing the uh, waving to the cop game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it didn't change. It's uh, it's still uh, almost no cops wave back. Uh, we still well, with, joke. with with less crowds, they wouldn't really need to have them on every corner now. There's, you know, there wouldn't be that many out on the yeah. road. Yeah, it's still the same amount of um, of uh, police officers on the road, but uh, yeah, they're still not waving back. I think they don't now, get it. I think that must be you because I found uh, on the Tour de France, I was always being waved at by the cops, normally with a closed fist, but they were still waving. <laughs> now, one other classic moment, Joachim, we were talking about earlier was um, in 2015 uh, when we had an uninspected, unexpected visitor come into our room. People who are, are on the Tour yeah. de France keep your windows closed at night time. And Joachim, we had a little bit of an incident last night at the hotel. Can you tell us what happened there, mate? Yeah, I was asleep and suddenly uh, Dan woke me up screaming. I thought it was screaming a, or squealing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something worse, like real bad happened. But it was a little bat who was flying into the room. Is it a bat or a bird? It's a bat, for sure. Right there. 
I'm Batman. Yeah, he was he was almost crying. And then I had to play um, tennis with my pillow to get it out. Now, surely that has never happened again on the tour, Joachim. No, no, no. That was so funny. <laughs> and we I, did, I did squeal. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe we were uh, the trend setters for the COVID. Maybe it came from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic grab with uh, Joachim. Uh, we did have one last little bit where he went into the truck or whatever, but geez, looking at the time, if you, I think we've gone probably long enough uh, and people are probably wanting uh, your stage predictions. So going through uh, stage five, it, it looks like it's going to be a sprint. Um, are you going to tip anyone other than who I'm expecting you to? Mr. Ewan? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go with him, but I'll, but but uh, um, the, the Smokey will be uh, not Smokey Sam Bennett, who who did everything right the other day. I mean, he sprinted beautifully, except for the rock pocket rocket who just came from nowhere and beat him. So um, I got a soft spot for Sam going for his first stage win, but not soft enough to uh, to back him against uh, the flying Caleb Ewan. Mm. Uh, it'd be fantastic if Caleb could uh, get another stage win, that's for sure. As we always say at the end of the show, um, to get behind it, uh, share the word, facebook.com forward slash Detour Pod and on YouTube, search the Detour Podcast and uh, tell your friends, uh, subscribe, get involved, ask some questions. And uh, if he, hopefully tomorrow that uh, dongle arrives, mate, and your internet's uh, cherry ripe, ready to go. Okay, well, to, what we'll do tomorrow, because uh, in my story in the uh, world-famous Geelong Advertiser today, I picked the top dozen riders who are my picks before the start, and I've rated them as to where they are now and where I think they'll finish. So I don't think anything will change uh, on, the, on the stage tomorrow. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll go through them tomorrow night. Okay, looking forward to it. Uh, and as we said, we're live 7.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time every night for this year's Tour de France, and hopefully we can stay up for the whole stage and, and not fall asleep, Johnny. <laughs> yes, and hopefully my new dongle arrives so we won't uh, have the, uh, uh, the, the fans uh, waiting around for me tomorrow night. All right, we'll uh, see you all again tomorrow night.